welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. In the kingdom of God, we have a king who is our hero, and his motto, not to be corny, but his motto is that he fights for truth, for justice, and for the kingdom way. Not the American way, dear Jesus. America is, is seeding darkness and wickedness into all parts of the world right now. We need, we need America to be redeemed more than, than most nations on the planet. But praise God, I'm standing in front of a remnant church. Amen. Okay, I'm standing in front of four remnant people. Amen. Come on, I'm standing in front of a remnant church that, that is the, the wealthiest, most influential, and healthiest group of people in the region. Man, that rain's getting to y'all. And we are going to fight for what our Savior, what our hero fights for with the truth, justice, and the kingdom way to invade our region, to invade our lives, our region, our nation, and then our world. We are going into this great awakening, whether you like it or not, whether it's kicking and screaming, or whether you're at a sprint with excitement. We are going into this great awakening, and God will have his end results. I just pray that it doesn't kill a bunch of Christians because they don't want it. Right. Amen. And I will tell you this, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Amen. I literally hate to say that. It brings me zero joy to say that. But I, I do have some prophetic awareness and it's going to get worse before it gets better. They just had a, a farm in Texas a dairy farm with 18,000 dairy cows. 18,000 dairy cows. One dairy farm. That exploded. Okay, look. I shouldn't even have started this. I have never... Okay, let me back up. Larry Lott is a dairy farmer. Do you guys know that? I was just at his farm a couple days ago. Amen. And a cow makes approximately, what is it, 30 pounds of milk a day? Oh my gosh. One cow makes 80 pounds of milk a day. One cow. 18,000 cows. Uh, and, and just so you guys don't think it's just Steve being flamboyant, Larry Lott, how many dairy farms have you heard of exploding? <laughs> Randomly just exploding. So you're a professional dairy farmer and you've never heard of a dairy farm just randomly exploding. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and for some reason, one of the largest dairy farms in the world 
just happen to spontaneously combust and explode. And nobody knows why, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just a bad day. I don't know, you know, things happen. Sometimes you're just walking along, milking a cow, and it, everything just explodes. <laughs> Big Bang Theory. <laughs> it is going to get worse before it gets better. And we have tons, I would say the majority of the body of Christ is comatose. Amen. Comatose. They are absolutely asleep. Their eyes are blind, their ears are stopped, and they are clock in, clock down, walk fast, head down, don't talk, leave me alone. And I can stand on a street corner on a soapbox and scream, and they'll make fun of me. I, you guys have probably heard me say this, that probably 18 years ago was the first time somebody prophesied to me that I was gonna be a modern day John the Baptist. And the first time somebody prophesied that to me, I nearly rebuked them in the name of Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan. Because the last thing in the world I wanted to be was some bug-eaten, hairy, camel-clothed-wearing, standing in the middle of a river saying, repent, with wide eyes and a bony finger, like, stop, repent. It's the last thing I wanted to be. I wanted to, I wanted to teach and preach the love of God, the grace of God. I wanted to get people into truth. I just wanted to lay hands on every sick person and raise the dead and see all these incredible, I just wanted to do all that. And then prophesying John the Baptist, that, that's the opposite. So I rejected it, put it on the shelf. At least I put it on the shelf and didn't just completely expel it. And then a couple years later, someone else Random other person, random other moment, random other place. You're going to be a modern-day John the Baptist. Nobody asked you. <laughs> Keep your opinions to yourself, prophet. And then a couple years later, and then a couple years later, I've had like eight of them. And some of them are in different continents that have prophesied to me. So it's not like just randomly some dude is like, you know, I think Steve... And then he heard someone who heard somebody who heard somebody. These are random people, random continents, random different places. I've had like eight of these now. So after like eight times, my lightning fast mind, my, my submitted humble soul finally said, well, maybe. And then COVID hit. I'm like, man, if our country don't need somebody in camel hair, eating bugs, standing in the middle of a river saying, repent. <laughs> And then I wrote a book. We are going into that time that it doesn't matter how hard people get shaken. There are people in this room that you've had terrible things happen in your life. Terrible. Things that would make me double over and repent four times. That you've had terrible, shattering things that have happened in your life. And it was just like, ah, that was so bad. So anyway, back to the grind. Doop -doo -doo. And we're going into a time that if we don't understand the voice of God and we don't hear him intimately for what he wants us to do, when there's a voice, it says in Isaiah, that there'll be, or Jeremiah, it says, there'll be a voice behind you that whispers to you, this is the way, walk in it. And if we can't hear a shout 
from a John the Baptist standing in a river, smelling bad, looking bad, eating bugs? Are you really seriously, like you're going to hear the intimate voice of the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, this is the way, walk in it. There's going to be a lot. Oh boy. I can say this because my pastor said this. Pastor Rich said this. I don't know if he said it publicly, so. Pastor Rich, I know you watch. Love you. Honor you. So if this is not supposed to be public, then I'll take my beating. But he said that this is going, we're going into a time that's going to kill a bunch of Christians. There are going to be a bunch of Christians that are not going to survive this. And he didn't say that like happy, yay, bunch of. He's saying that this, there is going to be carnage. There is going to be, you know, in war, there's collateral damage. There's some person just minding their own business, going to work, headed, headed to London for another hard day in the office, and the Germans fly by and drop a bomb. What did he have to do with anything? The fact was, there was a war going on, and in a war, people die. Good people die, bad people die, innocent people die. And this is happening in our nation. This is happening in our world. The war against light and dark against good and evil, against big G God, Elohim, and all the small G gods who are getting tired of getting pushed around by the church, the war is on, y'all. I've seen more people in the last three years fall off the cliff than I've seen in my life. People run back into addictions that they were healed of. People run back into the arms of people that they knew were destructive in their lives. People to run back to the government of all places to get safety and security. Dear Jesus, the government. We are at the lowest level of church attendance in American history. And you know what they're doing? Nothing. It's not like they traded church for this other amazing, awesome thing. They just cut it out. You, this is not just statistical. This isn't just happenstance. There is a war for the soul of you and the soul of this country and the soul of this world. And the two forces that are fighting are serious about it. And there's a bunch of folks in the middle are just like, doop-de-doo, as long as it leaves me alone and I got a paycheck and they don't, You know, they don't come for me to put me in a rail car to take me off to a concentration camp. I'm good. What you're doing right now, you would have done in 1939 Germany. What you're doing with your life right now is exactly what you would have been doing in Germany in 1939 when they were hauling people off to the concentration camps and to the ovens to kill them. If you, have no, if you have no fight, if you have no reserve, if you're just doop de doo right now, that's what you would have been right then. And the amazing part is, is that all of us that at least know history, who somehow got 
statistics greater than what the public schools taught us, dear Jesus. I had to go to college in Texas to learn history because I didn't get it in high school. If you have heard anything about World War II and you know any dynamic of any kind historically about what was happening then, it was one of the most evil, heinous, blatantly wicked times in all of human history. And we look at that and we have this sneer. Legitimately, we have this sneer. Like, how could you live in Germany in 1939 where they're hauling Jews away to concentration camps and burning them in ovens? And you just stand there and you watch. I played one time years ago a little video, a little three-minute video in our church. And we had people quit our church after I played it. I should play it again. See if we can thin out the crowd. <laughs> and it was called Sing a Little Louder. And it was a little mini documentary movie kind of thing. And all it was, it was, it was just all visual. There was no words to it. And it showed the inside of a church in Germany in 1939. And they were all in there, in their Lutheran church. They were mostly all Lutherans. And they were all in there singing their hymns. And the, and the preacher was up there. And the church was full. Families and kids. And they were singing a hymn, you know, about being good Christians or whatever their hymn was. And then it was interrupted by the screech of train wheels on the track just outside the church. And some people looked out the non-stained glass windows and they seen the train filled with Jews that got stopped because of some mechanical problem and the Nazis came out and they fixed the things and you could see the, the people screaming from the windows. You could hear the children crying. They could smell it. And the preacher says, play louder to the organist. And so the whole church just sings louder. The preacher sings louder and the organist plays louder. So then the rest of the church finally kind of came back and everybody just sang louder. Just sing a little louder. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't, it's not going to affect you. They're just hauling away Jews. It's not you. They're just going to go take them off and kill them. That's happening right now. They're hauling away our children. They're telling our boys that they're girls. They're telling our girls that they're boys. They're telling our children that they're worthless. They're grooming them. They're changing the dynamics of society. We no longer have the nuclear family. In Oregon, they just outlawed the fact that if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you cannot adopt children in Oregon. because you would be a terrible, oppressive parent raising your children under biblical standards. I'm telling you, there is a war that is going on. And a lot of people, the reason that they don't even know it is because they are so engaged in their self-centered life and their entertainment and doing their thing that they have no idea that people are on a trail car headed to the ovens. And most of those people are innocent children. And we are the heroes that God is raising up 
to scream. And if necessary, to take our gun and run towards that train and engage the Nazis. And you guys know what I'm saying. This is the kind of stuff that gets you throat off. I'm not talking about physical war. I'm not talking go get your guns. I'm not saying get your chewing tobacco and your, and your beer and hang out in your bomb shelter and wait for it. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that there is a sharp two-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of our Redeemer, of our Savior, and that same sword needs to be in our mouth and in our hands, and we need to go into our world with truth, provide justice for the innocent, and bring the kingdom way to our planet. And he's chosen you and I to be those people. I wanted to get to this message from the beginning, but I had to build to it. Psalm chapter 16, verse 3, the godly people in the land are my true heroes, says God. The godly people. God doesn't choose heroes out of the ranks of the ungodly. So your choice is to be godly and make yourself available for God to choose you to be a hero, to go and fight this war, push back darkness, rescue children, save the world. Or you can be ungodly and be in the ranks of the unchosen. If you choose to be godly and make yourself available for God, the second part of this verse applies to you. God takes pleasure in you making that choice. I take pleasure in the godly people in the land who are my true heroes. The cool thing about God is if you make yourself available to be a hero to him, whether he ever calls you into service or not, you get the exact same reward. Whether you die as a martyr, lay your life physically down as a martyr for the kingdom of God and for the gospel of the Lord Jesus or whether you are available to do it, you get the same reward. But you have to be willing to do it. Everybody, this was the first t-shirt Beloved Church ever made. Everybody dies for what they believe in. What do you believe in? Everybody dies for what they believe in. Tree huggers die because they believe in trees. Addicts die because they believe in their addiction. Depressed people die from depression because they believe they're depressed. Suicidal people die because they believe they're worthless, that their life doesn't matter. Everybody dies for what you believe in. So what do you believe in? Colossians 1.27, God did this because he wanted you, beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. And that mystery is that Christ lives in you. 
every time I say it, it still shakes me. Of all the places in the universe that Jesus could choose to live. You know, some of us don't even like living in Illinois. Like, ah, stupid Illinois, I'm going to Tennessee, I'm going to Florida, I'm going to... If you're Jesus, would you live in you? The, it just shows you how selfless Christ is compared to how selfish we are. Well, I'd live where the taxes are cheaper and the weather's better and, and, the, and the girls are prettier or whatever. Really? That's how you're going to choose the dynamic of your life. Taxes? I know people that have moved across the country for $5 an hour. They'll move their whole family for $5 an hour, a raise. That, in other words, that's what their life is worth, $5 an hour. Don't you know the enemy was like, check. All right, so if I ever need to get Frank, it's only five bucks an hour. Deal. Other people are harder to buy. I was shaken. When Pastor Craig got here, usually Pastor Craig and I are the first two people in the building on Sunday morning. When Pastor Craig got here, we were just talking about our experience at the GTC, and I'm still shaking on the inside from something that Andrew said that I don't even know if some people even caught it because I think it just was one of those things that he just kind of said and moved on. But he said... He got a call the other day. His, his, his ministry got a call from a guy who said, I will give your ministry a million dollars if Andrew calls me. And Andrew's not for sale. <laughs> Do you know what pittance the enemy can buy most people with? What pittance? They can, the enemy can make a guy leave his wife because some partial hottie walks by. Like just little pittance, like you're for sale for 50 cents. Andrew got offered a million dollars for a phone call. He's like, I'm not violating my character and my integrity for a million dollars. His ministry exists to fulfill the call of God that he has for this planet in this generation. And he wouldn't violate his integrity or his character for a million dollars to do God's work. I want to say that I have that integrity and I have that character and I don't know if I do. And that's why Andrew's where he is and I'm where I'm at. Where are you? What are you for sale for? And this, this breaks my heart because I know so many, especially at the beginning at Beloved Church when we had, I have to be careful here, we had, we had many 
young people that I really loved, I was really close to, and I watched them continue to barter their lives and barter their body on the market, on the flesh market. And they get mad at me when I would say it to them. Some of them haven't talked to me since. And they sold themselves. They are sold, gone. That doesn't mean they can't be redeemed because that's what the word redeem means is bought back. And so I'm hoping that they're going to be purchased back, that God is going to redeem them back by the purchase of his blood. But I watched them and I even told them, stop doing this. You are for sale. Don't be for sale. If you're for sale, the enemy will figure out how to get the money to buy you, how to get the person to buy you, how to get the the words to buy you. Whatever it is, whatever you're for sale for, he'll figure out how to get it and buy you. And God only has one thing that he can buy you with. The blood of Jesus Christ. This mystery is that Christ lives in you. And he is your hope of sharing in the glory of God. It's Christ that's your hope. It's that blood that redeemed you that gives you hope. Not the great awakening. It's not money, not the lottery, not whatever your thing is. If, 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 my, if that one person in my family would just get it figured out, then I'd be happy. Christ is the hope for the world. A defining characteristic of a courageous or a brave person is that their submission to God will require them to do hard things. But heroes do hard things. I'm looking at a room full of heroes and potential heroes, which means everybody in here is gonna be faced with a decision, a hard decision to do a hard thing. You might be faced with it before you leave the building. But you will be faced with hard decisions for hard things. You will never know who a person is until they're under a test. Ever, ever. Until you squeeze a Twinkie, you don't know if there's any cream in it. And I know a bunch of believers who are Twinkies without cream. Because they've been squeezed and ain't nothing come out. Am I the only one that was alive and awake for the last three years? How many pastors were squeezed? How many Christians were squeezed? How many people were squeezed in the workforce? You will take this inoculation or you will lose your job. Fine, line them up. How many needles do I need to give my arms for? What do I need to be willing to do to keep my job? For sale. Amen. That's hard. Humanity is hardwired for the heroic. That's why Every time something like that happens, there's a twinge on the inside of you that says, mm, something ain't right about this. Because we are hardwired for the heroic. And the reason we're hardwired for the heroic 
is because we were created in the likeness and the image of our God who stood in front of nothing and created a world and separated light from darkness and the chaos from the order. That was a hard thing. Jesus going to a cross. You think he had warm fuzzies? You think he was led by his feelings to go up Golgotha? You think it felt good for him to be beaten and turned into human hamburger? Stripes on his back, a crown of thorns pressed into his brain? Nails through his feet and hands? And that doesn't even include what happened to his soul. You think he had feelings for that? You think that was a fun day for him? Just another day in the life of God? Heroes do hard things. And we're hardwired by our God to do hard things. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Jesus said there is only going to be a remnant of people that are on the narrow road that lead to life everlasting because the masses are gonna be on the wide road that lead to destruction. That's where all the lemmings pile up to go jump off a cliff. Hello, remnant. A hero of God defines himself by God's definition of hero. Not Marvel, not the world's, not cartoon, dear Jesus, but by God's definition of a hero is what a hero is. You know what, one of the ways that God defines hero is covenant spouse. In a world where covenant spouse is a punchline to a joke, God considers a hero a covenant spouse. You know what God defines as a hero? A parent, a godly parent. Not like the world's parenting, which is just emotionally driven uh, friendship, desiring friendship because they have the, their own depravity of soul and so they need their kids to fill the voids of their emotional longings and so they're, they're trying to be their kids as friends and, and be nice to them and, and do all that. And really what parents are today is enablers. Godly parents are not enablers. <laughs> the world's parents are enablers. They're enabling their children to be destroyed. And it usually comes from feelings. Well, I feel like I love them. So you're gonna let them, I, I ministered to a young lady who has a 17-year-old daughter, 16, gonna be 17, who is completely a wreck. And she was telling, she'd broken the wall and all kinds of stuff and, and mom was fasting and praying for her to get fixed and, I, and she's like, and it's, and it's so hard on me because I have to cook her every meal and she you know, lives at our house and you know, we have to give her rides everywhere. And we get, I said, why are you, if she's going out and breaking the law and doing terrible stuff, why are you, well, because we love her. It's not love. If she's gonna terrorize society and break the law and do terrible things, that shouldn't be under your control in your home. That should be out of your control, out of your home. If she's in your home, 
in your control and she's out there terrorizing society and breaking the law, that's on you. That's not her breaking the law, that's you. You're breaking the law and you call yourself a Christian. And I sometimes forget when I'm not standing in front of beloved people who know me and I say things like that and this gal was like, <laughs> all the blood drained out of her face. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she goes, no, thank you for saying, I, I thought that this was probably not right for me. And she bawled and broke and I prayed with her and she got resolved and she's going home and she's gonna sort it. Amen. And sometimes the truth just leaks out. God considers a godly parent a hero. You know why? Because there's barely any. They're so rare, so rare. Covenant spouse, godly parent, godly person in society. Someone who says, hey, boys are born male, girls are born female. <laughs> what I just said will get me canceled. When we were in school, they said, hey, don't ever take drugs. And they even gave us videos. Anybody remember the frying pan, the skillet with the egg? Oh yeah, all the old people in the room, amen. You remember the egg getting dropped in. This is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. <laughs> and then the same government, 30 years later, comes and says, hey, take this experimental jab. What? So now it's not an egg in a frying pan. No. Now it's science. Follow the science. But you don't have any science. You just made it like 30 seconds ago. Yeah, well, it'll be fine. Didn't you guys make the commercial with the front? <laughs> heroes, heroes desire to change the world, but submit to the fact that it starts with changing themselves. You know how many people I meet that want to change the world? Nearly all of them. I run in those kind of circles. But how many of them are willing to change themselves? Am I the only one that notices how all kinds of people know what's wrong with everybody but them? <laughs> amen? If you say amen, you'll be humble and everybody was like, oh, that's probably you. Do you know how many people I talk to that they, well, you know, if my spouse did this, and if this person did this, and if this person did this, and I'm, and I'm looking at them like, you know I know you. <laughs> I actually know you. And you got some stuff. How about you fix your stuff, and then we can talk about all the other things that all the other people are doing. But because we don't, we don't want to fix ourselves and because we're Christians, so sometimes we just make it generic. Well, you know, if people, and so now they're not thinking like a name, like if Steve would. Now they just say, if people would, if the government would, if my boss would, and instead of now implicating someone that they're intimate with, they're just gonna generically implicate the whole world. And I think it was Deb one time in one of our grace groups that she said that, uh, what Todd White say? Says every time that you, you see a problem in somebody else, it's because it's yours or something like that. 
you remember what it was? But that there's so reality. Some of the things that you're sensitive in that's wrong about other people's, usually it's because it's you. Yep, if you spot it, you got it. And sometimes when people walk up, Pastor, let me tell you about all this stuff. I'm like, always like, you spotted a lot there, didn't you? <laughs> let me tell you about your message, Pastor. Let me tell you where you went wrong. Okay. I'll listen and smile. Heroes desire to change the world, but they submit, they're humble to the fact that changing the world starts with changing themselves. If you want to change the world, transform your will. Changing the world starts with changing your will. Maturity is the process of transforming your will. Immature people do not have a will aligned with God. Romans chapter 8. People ask me all the time because this is one of my life messages about destiny, divine destiny. And many times when people ask me about divine destiny, I just want to know what God wants me to do. What's, what's my calling? And I'm like, are you doing the general calling? Right. Well, what do you mean? Are you doing the Great Commission? Well, no. Well, then why would God tell you to do some intimate special thing if you're not doing the generic Christian thing? Right. Well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't want to do that, why would you want to do the intimate? Because it's more glamorous, or it'll make me money, or, or I'll have fun doing that. If you don't have fun with the Great Commission, you're not going to have fun with an, an individual commission. Amen. Same thing with destiny. If you're not doing the generic destiny, the universal destiny that God has for all man, then why would you do an individual specific destiny? So in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, verse 29 and 30, these are verses that literally changed my life. I'm here in Illinois because of verse 30. And in verse 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestinated. And this is one of those words that just throws people into a ditch because you can't get out of your religion and you think that this means something that it doesn't actually mean. What this means is what it says. I don't know how to help people unravel that. The predestination that God has for all of us in his family is that we will be conformed to the image of his son. If that is not a direction in your life, if that is not a purpose, if that is not on, uh, on, on the mark for what you're trying to hit in the target, then you are not going to operate in anything even close to the divine destiny that God has for you individually. If you miss the universal destiny, you will miss the individual destiny. This is the universal destiny that God has for every single believer, is that you will be conformed to the image of his son. Well, I don't want to do that. Christians don't have as much fun as I do on Friday night. Let me tell you how much fun I have on a regular basis. I have so much fun that it is regular for me to have a 16 or an 18 hour day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, because my life is so interesting that I don't want to like, I just had a preacher fuss at me, a pretty big preacher, <laughs> fuss at me yesterday or the day before. So you got to take time off. I'm like, 
Do you, have you ever heard the saying that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life? He said, yeah. I said, why do I want to escape this? I love this. <laughs> and to get to see what I see and to, and to watch lives change and, and to, man, people actually want to hear me talk sometimes. I know not here all the time, but in other places, sometimes people want to hear me talk. That is radical to me. Why would I want to take a break from this? If you've got to take a break from the life that you got, let me get back to this. The predestination, the predestiny that God has for you to be conformed to his son. So if this is not on your, in your crosshairs, then you're missing the universal destiny that God has for you. And that word conformed is very similar to Romans 12 too, which is being transformed. This word conformed is, uh, is the word that in Romans 12, 2 is metamorphosis, which is where we get the transformation of a, of a caterpillar to a butterfly. This is sim, it's the same morphous, but it has sim in front of it. So it means to change the same. Whereas meta means to change different. So the transformation process that the word of God brings into you is it takes you from what you're not supposed to be and it transforms you into what you're supposed to be. This word is literally saying that you are gonna be conformed to what you're supposed to be. You're gonna be exactly the image that what, of what you're supposed to be. Man, this is so, I wish I could unpack all this, but I don't have time. This is what God's destiny is for us, is to say that's the image. Christ is the hero. He's calling me to be a hero, so I'm gonna be that image. If it means climb, a, climb the hill, if it means go to the place of the skull, if it means going on a cross, if it means carrying my cross, if it means going into the temple with a whip, if it means rescuing the woman caught in adultery, if it means standing in front of a crowd and preaching the message about eating my flesh and drinking my blood and watching the entire crowd, 5,000 people walk away from you and you're so secure in yourself that you turn to your disciples, you say, are you leaving? I preach some bad messages, but I ain't never had everybody in the whole church get up and walk out. And I'd like to say, I don't think I can, but I'd like to say that if all of you stood up and you walked out on me right now, that I'd turn to Kay, the last one in the building, and say, you going, baby? Are you out of here with them? Jesus had every single, I don't know a preacher, I don't know a preacher that has had every single person in the building walk out in the middle of one of his messages. I've had people walk out my messages. I've had people tolerate my messages and hate me during the course of my message. But I've never had anybody, all the people walk out, and I've never met a preacher, I had all the people walk out, and Jesus did. And was so secure in who he was and what he was doing that he turned to the last remaining 12, and he said, y'all take it off, there's the door. We ain't that secure. Heroes are that secure. We're gonna be conformed to his image. And then verse 30 says, those whom he's called, he's justified, and those whom he's justified, he's sanctified. If you wanna to get to the end of sanctification, the end of glorification, 
You're going to have to go through predestiny, get into your destiny, be conformed, and allow your life to be called into the calling that he has for you individually and then allow that to turn into the justification and the glorification for who you are. There's a ton of submission in what I just said. That was a massive, massive statement that I just said that I cannot unpack. I pray that your spirit heard that. Edwin Louise Cole, minister of the gospel, said, maturity comes not with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. You are only young once, but immaturity can last a lifetime. There was another uh, gal that I prayed with, it seems to be these gals, who was 50-something, and she asked me to pray for her husband because he, the whole purpose of his life was to be a gamer. He, he made uh, $16 an hour and gamed eight hours a day. So he went to work for eight hours a day, and then he gamed for eight hours a day. This was his life. Like, I know that we're all in here like, I can't believe it, but what do you do for eight hours a day? There are people in here that probably watch TV for eight hours a day. I mean, that's two football games. Amen? I can't believe someone would game for eight hours. What do you do for eight hours? Ah, tiddlywinks. This, this is a 50-year-old man. I get it. I, I used to play video games, y'all. Mom bought me a Nintendo. That's right. That woman that you guys are thinking is so holy, so wonderful, so loving, so amazing. She bought me a Nintendo. And I played that sucker till I had calluses on both thumbs. Mario was jumping. Luigi was Tim, so he fell, <laughs> my little brother. We played video games, and we were 14. I know you're waiting for the punchline. That's the punchline. I was 14. <laughs> There's 55-year-old guys that are still doing what, and I was an ignorant 14-year-old, ungodly, but at some point I'm like, well, I mean, that was fun. How many times can you eat a flash and mushroom before you're just like, all right, whatever. Like, can we go ride a bike, do something, chase a girl, anything? <laughs> 55. This is the purpose of their life. And I'm not picking, this guy's not here so I can pick on him. He's not, but what's your thing? What, what is the drive of your life? What are you accomplishing? What are you building? What, what is your efforts going into? What is, what is the legacy? What are you going to leave behind? What are people saying about your character, the virtues of your life? What, what is the impact that you're having on the world, on your family, on your spouse? And it got quiet. I get it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to make it all heavy. But some, I mean, there's parents in this room. What are your children seeing? A hypocrite? 
I, mommy went to church, yeah, and went home and got drunk and beat her kid. You think that kid's going to grow up and say, man, I want to be a Christian. Come on. This is the simple. I'm saying we're going to get into the deep. God's going to ask us to be mature and do big things that affect large swaths of people. And we got impressionable little hearts that are right in our face who watch everything we do, hear everything we say. They know when we say, hey, don't do that. Well, you did that. Well, I'm a grown-up. So it's okay for a grown-up, not okay for me. Just shut up. Do what I tell you. It's not good parenting. It's not good parenting. I tell the, I tell the leaders here that if, if Pastor Steve doesn't do it, don't do it. And I'm not trying to make it like I'm like that. But I'm just saying that in this culture, people should see. If you, if you went into a bar tonight and I was sitting in there flirting with the girl next to me, I would destroy the culture that we've built here. Why? I'm a hypocrite. I'm a liar. I'm saying one thing and doing another. If, you'd, if you were going to play a joke on me and you hid in the back of my truck and on the way home, me and Kay are on the way home and I'm like, woman, hate you with your stuff and things and you never do me right and why don't you? And you're in the back seat. Every word I've ever said about loving Kay, about honoring Kay, about valuing Kay, about having a covenant, about marriage, every word, gone. And you think your kids don't see that. Kids are a sponge. They see everything. They soak it up. Who you are in private is who you really are. First Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. <laughs> in regard to evil, be infants. This is, this is the opposite of the truther movement today. The truther movement today is know everything you need to know about the evil. Study the cabal. Learn all about the matrix. Find out who all the evil players are. Read all the things about George Soros. Okay, well, this, this verse says, in evil, be infants. Do I know there's bad people doing bad stuff? Yep. Am I going to spend all day researching it? Nope. Why? Because in my thinking, I need to be mature. Are there evil people? Yep, so what should I do? I should be righteous. You study evil, you become evil. I have, a, I have a friend of mine whose parents were both addicts. And this friend of mine said, it was, it was almost every day this guy, this, I need to be careful. Said, I hate my parents. I will never be, I'll never touch a drop, I'll never... Because he got beat, he got, and because he was so focused on what he would never be today, well, not today, he's clean right now, but he became so addicted that he actually 
was in the hospital and he had to have a liver transplant because he destroyed his liver. Because he wouldn't be what his parents was. Whatever you look at, you become. You look at evil, even if it's because you don't want to be evil. You look at evil, you'll become evil. In righteousness, we need to be mature. In evil, we need to be infants. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it was he, speaking of Jesus, who gave some of us, who gave some of us to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Just pause right there. Who does the work of ministry? Read it. It's, it's the Bible. I didn't write it. The saints. Anybody in here a saint? So does Pastor Steve do the works of ministry? <laughs> I don't know. It's another question. I always get these wrong. Yes. I'm a saint. The fact that some of you didn't think that. I'm a saint. I do the work of the ministry. And in addition to that, I'm a pastor teacher. And so I'm equipping other saints to do the work of the ministry. If I do all the work of the ministry, then you're not saints. And I'm not equipping you. So it's, it's ooh on both of us. <laughs> Amen. The ministers don't do the ministry. The ministers equip the people to do the ministry. Oh, boy. And to build up the body of Christ. Come on, pastor, build me up. Okay, here you go. Here's a whole room full of people that are in the culture that I'm the senior leader of that you are supposed to be built up by. How many of them are you intimate with? How many of them did you spend time with yesterday? The day before, the day before, the day before. Well, I'm just waiting for you to preach it. You think I'm going to preach it? You think I'm going to preach for an hour and a half on Sunday and that's going to cover up everything the enemy did? It is house to house, day by day, breaking bread, being intimate together, going over the teachings of the apostles. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 said that they went from house to house and they were in the synagogues daily. And the first thing they did was they were discussing the apostles' doctrine. When you get together, do you discuss what I say? Or are you disgusted by what I say? Because there have been. We've, we've had these little chatty groups grow up and they say, hey, come on over. We're going we're gonna to have a little, we're going to have a little group and we're going to talk about the Bible. We'll have a little Bible study. And they spend 30 minutes talking about how terrible Steve is. And shockingly, they turn into church splits. I don't know how that happens. It's, it's magical. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Us doing this together is the maturing process that we just looked at in Romans 8. And you know how many people lay out on this? I don't need to go to church. I got a Bible. I got the Holy Spirit. 
Okay. Well, then take Ephesians 4 out of your Bible because it says that we're supposed to do this together. Until we all mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ, predestination. Coming into the destiny that he has for us to be the full measure of the stature of Christ, to be the full, grown-up, mature hero that he's raising us to be. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed about by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching and by the clever cunning of men in their deceitful scheming. How do you tell if people are infants? Hello? Go home, read that verse, and you can find who around you are spiritual infants. This is what they do. Well, I know, I know pastor said that, but this is what I believe. I know, I know that the Bible says that, but this is what I believe. I, amen. It's not going to be long before you're going to have a number two and a big stinky diaper. Because that's what they do. A amen. Or they'll spit up on you. That smells good, too. Verse 15, instead, speak the truth in love. So what do you do with infants? You tell them the truth. In love. <laughs> you don't say, oh, it was so pretty. Oh, you made such a full diaper. This is so beautiful. God loves you. Oh, daddy loves how it smells. You know how many churches that is? It doesn't matter how bad you are because God loves you. You do those sweet cheeks. No, you stink. Your diaper is full. And you're 40. I do not want to be cleaning this. What is wrong with you? Well, my mom used to clean it. I ain't your mama. And you need to learn how to go to the bathroom. Eh, 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 amen? amen? Oh boy. Amen. <laughs> Shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> Instead, speak the truth in love, and we will, we will in all things grow up into Christ Himself, who is the head. From Him, the whole body, fitted and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. Builds itself up. This is why people who are not connected to a local body are not growing. Hello. I have never, to this day, never, God word, I have never seen anybody quit a church and grow. Never. I've seen people quit a church and stay Christian. I mean, peripherally. But I have never seen a person quit a church and grow. And the reason is because the Bible's true. Growing is done together. We all grow. Iron sharpens iron. From him, the whole body fitted and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love through the work of each individual part. You know what this means? The more closely you get connected to more people sitting in purple chairs around you, the more likelihood you have of maturing. Nobody is born again mature. Nobody. Nobody is born again mature. When you become born again, you start over. Zero. 
Brand new baby. And some people are so arrogant that they say, well, I got born again when I was 20, so I was already mature. No, you're zero. Start over, because you need to learn how to live in a new world with new rules, a new kingdom, a new way, a different way of thinking, completely upside down from the old way. Nobody is born again mature. We all need to grow into the divine image of a hero that God has intended for us to be. The difference between immaturity and maturity is the I at the front. Think about it. What's the difference between a baby and a full-grown healthy person? A baby is all about them. Wah, I'm hungry. Wah, my diaper stinks. Wah, I'm tired, which I never understood. When our kids would cry in case they were well, just tired, I'm like, well, go to sleep. <laughs> if you're tired, why are you wasting the effort to cry? She's like, you just don't understand. I'm like, I know. <laughs> you know how many Christians do that? Yeah. They're tired. Wah. Go to sleep. <laughs> Rest. Rest in what the Lord has done for you. But I'm really tired. Rest. Quit complaining about being tired and rest. The difference between immaturity and maturity is the eye at the front. The immature need to be loved and the mature need to give love. Let me tell you how you can tell whether you are mature or not. Do you need to receive love all the time from God and others? Or is your purpose to always be giving? I want to give compassion. I want to give love. I want to give help. I want to give correction. I want to give, I want to give money. Well, I need money. I'm going to go to church and maybe somebody will give me a Pentecostal handshake. The difference between maturity and immaturity is whether you're giving or receiving. 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I set aside childish ways. Notice it didn't say that I no longer had childish ways. I can go home right now and play video games as easy as anybody. Well, if I had some, or if I had a TV. I don't have a TV or video games, but if I had them, I could. I could go and do it just as easy as the 55-year-old guy that you all shook your head at. I have the capacity to go home and just goof off and sit around and, and be immature. Everybody in here has the same capacity to be immature as you have capacity to be mature. You don't grow up and then all of a sudden immaturity leaves. No, you, you just find out how many other places you have immaturity in that you need to mature. There's people that are mature in one area and not. There are people that are financially stable, but spiritually they're a wreck. And then there's some people I know that are spiritually pretty stable and financially they're a wreck. Or emotionally they're a wreck. You have to mature in every area together. You can be immature and mature at the same time. A mature person does not stop having places of immaturity. They just choose to deal with it when it is exposed. Maturity is assessed comparatively. That, that might have went over your head, 
but I want you to really think about it. I pause for a reason. Maturity is assessed comparatively, which means we often look at someone else. Well, I'm more mature than Zach, so therefore I'm mature comparatively. You might be more mature than me. God bless you. I pray that you are. But Christ is the standard, not Steve. We should be looking at each other and say, you know, Steve's better at that and I'm better than, than Steve at this. So if you're better at me than something, please come and share with me. I want to mature in all the areas of my life. And if I'm better than you at some area, then listen or come sit down with me. I'll tell you everything I got. I'm an open book. I'll tell anybody anything. But we all have mature immaturity that has to be dealt with. And until we decide, until we determine that we're going to deal with it, it's just going to sit there. Diapers don't change themselves. Always remember that Christ is the standard for all things. And in him, Colossians 2 says, 2.10 says, in him, you're complete. Not in beloved church, not in leadership, not in ministry. You're complete in him. And so if you're not looking to him for the standards of what maturity is supposed to be, you are not mature. I'm not mature. I'm maturing. Amen? I'm maturing. I'm more mature than I was a year ago, three years ago for sure. I got thrown into maturity three years ago. Everybody did. Some people grew up in a hurry and some people tucked down in their little turtle shell and hit out. But everybody got forced to do something. I'm more mature than I was three years ago, but I'm not as mature as Christ. So I'm immature compared to Christ and mature compared to people who didn't take the opportunity three years ago to change their lives. If you recognize, a mature person recognizes they have immaturity. <laughs> It sounds oxymoronic, but it's totally true. If you think that you're so mature and you got it all figured out, you're a fool. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, anybody that thinks that they, got, they know anything, they know nothing. Right. Nothing. I know some things, and I know nothing compared to Jesus. So I can help some folks that are younger than me in the Lord, but Jesus is the only one that's going to help me in all things. And in him is where I'm complete. And I'm done. Halfway. So the last message is going to be a part two. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved.
Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.